The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Love lift us up where we belong. (laughs) We're all thinking it, if if you're of a certain age. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good, good. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, I want to remind you to stick around to the very end of the show because we have some of that awesome listener feedback, and this week is really good. So stick around. Uh, You'll want to hear that. I also want to remind you to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us when you find us on Twitter. We're at SQPN. And be sure to leave comments wherever you find us. We love to read your comments, and we can then share them on the show as listener feedback. Another show on the network you're sure to enjoy is called Raising the Bets. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash b-e-t-t-s that's bets so jimmy can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode this week our let's meet the crew of the enterprise episode focuses on captain pike and his hair the enterprise is at majalis a hellish non-federation lava world with acid lakes only lifted up above all that is a gorgeous paradise made of floating cities While there, the Enterprise rescues three people from an orbital kidnapping attempt, and the three would-be kidnapping victims are, number one, Alora, an old flame of Pikes who he rescued 10 years ago, two, a sacred child known as the First Servant, and three, Gamal, the First Servant's biological father and biological doctor. The kidnapping attempt was made by people from a neighboring star system, but the Magellans are a super private people, which causes problems for the Enterprise crew as they navigate the situation. It turns out that the magic child is urgently needed on Majalis for his ascension ceremony, which is vital to the future of the planet. In fact, we later learn that if he doesn't ascend, their civilization will die. It also turns out that the Magellans have magic level have magic level medicine that could restore Captain Pike after his accident in the future, but only if he becomes a citizen of Majalis and lives by their customs. The magic level medicine also could cure Doctor Doctor Mbenga's daughter, but they aren't allowed to share it. Captain Pike and his hair rekindle their relationship with Laura, but disturbing revelations mount. It's ultimately revealed that the people who have been trying to kidnap the magic child are a breakaway group of Majalans who want to save the child from his terrible fate of ascending, which means being plugged into a machine that will cause him constant suffering in order to keep the floaty civilization off the ground. A horrified Pike witnesses the ascension ceremony, and he's knocked out to prevent him from saving the child. Since Majalis isn't a Federation world, Pike is unable to do anything about the nightmarish situation, but it instantly kills his relationship with Alora as well as any desire to come live on Majalis in the future. Dr. Mbenga is more fortunate, as the boy's biological father was secretly trying to help save his son, and he shows Dr. Mbenga a way to treat his daughter 
even if it isn't a full cure, so we can end on a note of hope. The end. So, uh, lots going on here. And uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Captain Pike and his hair. Uh, the yeah. one of the vice presidents. I, I, I've heard other people mentioning it too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, the, one of the vice presidents of Apple is the guy named Craig Federighi, and he's the face of the, whenever they do their big uh, showy mm-hmm. events. And they're always commenting on his hair, like his majestic hair. And like someone put them, you know, Anson Mount and Craig Federighi's pictures together. They're like twins. It's kind of kind of wild. That's funny. Uh, so just it's it's funny. I, 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 I do hate to say it, Jimmy, but it almost reeks of a little bit of envy there for his hair. <laughs> yeah. Some of us are envious of uh, of those of you who have more. Because that's, that's, a, that's a glorious bouffant that he's going right, right there. It's, that's it's, just perfect. It's quite hey, the head of hair. I, I commented on how Spock's sideburns are out of control, too, and I am not lacking in that department. <laughs> that's that's true. true, too, though. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and some of us can actually grow beards. So although Pike did it grow a beard, but. That's that's true. Anyway, uh, enough about uh, the the hirsute nature of uh, Captain Pike. We should talk about uh, the fact that Pike starts off by talking about uh, in his in his log about he's been to Majalis for a rescue mission once before, or the, well, he was there and got involved in a rescue mission as a lieutenant, and it almost killed him. But this is a routine cartographic mission, and nothing should happen. Which you know, obviously. Notice how whoever is doing the log entry at the beginning of the show is our focus character for the episode. Right, mm-hmm. right, exactly. Yeah, so keep an eye on that in the future. Uh, although, yeah, by the way, have you noticed we've not had Hemmer show up for two episodes now? So yeah, uh, yes. not a main secondary character apparently. Uh, which is well, I think he. No, I think he's going to be. I think we just haven't gotten to him yet for oh, a ma- right. for a major focus episode, but. Okay. I'm expecting a hammer log entry at the beginning of the show sometime, probably this season. Yeah. And they, I mean, they did have the episode where the, you know, where he was trapped in, in the uh, with, cargo bay with, with, Uhura. with Uhura. Yeah. And that was kind of a focus, but he wasn't like the primary focus of that episode. Sure. Sure. Uh, speaking of Uhura, she's <laughs> the cadet making her various rotations and now she's on security rotation. And we're told that, uh, that Noonien Singh has uh, uh, La'an has seven lessons of security that that she uh, uh, has all of the people who have to go through rotation with her have to memorize and uh, endure, uh, even including the captain. I mean, they're they're fairly legendary to the fact where he knows them and uh, won't reveal too much about them because you have to experience them yourself. He tells Uhura to watch out for lesson seven, but when she asks what it is, he he makes a my lips are sealed gesture. <laughs> right, <Yep>. right. <laughs> so what was lesson one again? I think that one got by me. Before. Uh, I, I picked it up with lesson two. It was like, uh, I forget exactly how they phrased it, but it was something like oh. it, it, about being alert because a white tiger will attack before with, with no or cert, some space tiger space will attack tigers. with no warning. It's yeah. Well, it's yep. a Rigelian tiger because all... The Star Trek's version of space whatever is Rigelian. I, I, like in yeah. Doctor Who, it's always like space flu, space uh, arc, you know, that sort of thing. In in Star Trek, it's a Rigelian whatever. Unless it's unless it's a drink, then it's Saurian brandy right, or right. You know, something like that. <laughs> or they'll throw in other names, but essentially yeah. you can just gloss it with the word space. So we have space brandy, space tigers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, lesson two is, uh, incidentally, security doesn't take breaks. So, um, yeah. So we well we get so the the action really begins with this shuttle under attack by an aggressor vessel. Um, 
and, and Pike has this, he, he broadcasts this message to the aggressor vessel, which I, I kind of like because he, what he says is, um, as the, you know, to, he's saying to the aggressor, as the other vessel has appealed to us for help, I am bound by Federation law and my own conscience to intervene, mm. which I thought was mm-hmm. an interesting statement of, of morality in an episode that is about morality, uh, the more, the moral yeah. nature of, of certain acts. So right off the bat, Pike is expressing, I am a moral person who follows the dictates of my conscience. I, I kind of yeah. like that right up front. I like in this um, sequence w- because the, they have Uhura in, in training as a cadet. She's seated at, I don't know exactly what they're calling it, but essentially that it was Sulu's station, the helmsman station. And so it falls to her when Pike gives the fire order to uh, for her to be the one to operate the phasers. And he said that he wants their engines knocked out without, you know, blowing them up. And and the ship moves as she's targeting it. And so when she fires at it, she does way more damage than was intended. They don't blow up, but they do crash onto a nearby moon or something and she immediately apologizes and explains you know they moved and and they took more damage i was trying to target precisely um and all that's all that's totally credible and i like the fact that they let uhura as a cadet make mistakes like that that's good Mm -hmm. yeah although it 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 seems a little i don't know improbable that you put a cadet in charge of the weapons as you're in this tense situation to have her firing in in a situation where you're trying to not like destroy you know it's a delicate well, operation it is but i took this as more she was there and this all developed really quickly right yeah. and and there wasn't it would have been it, it would have been it wasn't prudent to try to sub someone else in for her since she was already at the station yeah and yeah. this and this wasn't a life or death situation for the enterprise i mean they said you know the first round of shots did like point Point zero two percent damage on the shields. I mean, right. it did like nothing. It was, you know, so it wasn't on the Enterprise, and it was just supposed to be a, basically the the equivalent of a stun right. to another ship. Right. But yeah, she messes up, and people died. Apparently, you know. Uh, well, they they, they said that the the crew that was beamed, on that attack off. shuttle beamed off. Oh, okay. Okay. So they didn't die. They just they they got off before it crashed. They yes. also had time to wipe the computer so yeah I, I did like though that the the the, uh, the combat cruiser was using grapplers instead of a yes tractor yes. beam so older mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's why they also they didn't find bodies when they later beam down to in, to investigate the rack right so they beam aboard the the folks over on the shuttle that that, yeah. that would have given away immediately that they were Magellans if right. they had found bodies yep. like because yeah because we have Alora coming on board and she she right off the bat lies and says that this is must be from this colony, this old, you know, abandoned colony from these aliens, not, you know, that we don't know very much about. Uh, so we get her first lie right up front. Um, and yeah, so Pike recognizes her on the transporter platform. She calls him Lieutenant. Uh, he gets very flustered and she's very flirty. So, you know, we have a clear connection here. He's flustered oh, yeah. because of how flirty she is in part. It's not because she called him a lieutenant. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Una takes advantage and calls him, uh, or should I call you Lieutenant? <laughs> yeah. So um, the, we get uh, Mabenga, a scene of Mabenga and his daughter, you know, he's reading her, her, his story. So we, we know 
as soon as you see her, you know that this is going to be this. She's going to be part of this story with the boy being involved. And so you have the boy. We we also get a little more clarity on what's going on in terms of her being stored in a transporter. Mm-hmm. Because Mbenga says that he's got the transporter on on a timer. So it brings her out automatically. And he's there when it, that happens to uh, mm-hmm. to read her, interact with her. And then it automatically beams her back, even in the middle of a sentence she's saying. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so meanwhile, the, the boy, the holy child, the first servant, he had gotten knocked on the head or something during the uh, d- during the attack. And so the the Gamal, who the elder Gamal, who we find out is his father, um, takes him demands to be taken to sick bay. I just can't get over the fact that Gamal is Hebrew for camel. so this guy's kind of a sourpuss he's kind of like a camel yeah yeah yeah. well and they intentionally make him i think uh unsympathetic off the bat as part of the misdirect because this is a big uh misdirection story you know where Mm -hmm. we're yeah we're supposed to be sympathizing with alora and being suspicious of gamal and that will all shake out later yeah yeah, I love though in in sick bay. So as they're having the kid checked out, um, mm-hmm. Nurse Chapel starts to get picks up this device, which turns out to be a subdermal scalpel. Yes. Yep. So like this will make incisions without breaking your skin. Yes. And it's like, wow, that is magic technology from a 21st century perspective. And yep. Gamal is just completely dismissive of it. He doesn't want her to use it at all. Yep. All he wanted was for them to scan the child right. and not to do anything to the child. And he refers to sickbay as an abattoir, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is an older term for a slaughterhouse for animals. Yep. Right. Well. <laughs> Well, he even calls the scalpel, the subdermal scalpel, a butcher's knife, which I would, I think, was almost a call out against Discovery because, of course, this was an episode that had a long title like Discovery did, yeah. and one of the Discovery's episode, of course, is the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Oh, yeah, I almost wonder if this was a little bit of a, you know, okay, fine, we're doing a long title episode, but we're going to call out Discovery on that. Well, there was also the uh, the uh, Doctor McCoy when they ended up back in the nineteen thir- thirties in the Guardian of Forever episode, the City on the Edge of Forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he referred to stone knives and bearskins, you know, that they're, they're stuck there, you know, with the, yeah. the, the well, equivalent. Oh, no, that was Spock, actually. He, Spock. Who talked yeah. about the technology at the time of stone knives and bearskins. Well, and then you had the, the search for whales where he was, you know, criticizing the hospital. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Was being that's medieval. what I was thinking of. Yeah. Medieval yep. medicine. Well, in any case, so we have the holy child who uh, called the first servant. He's, he's chosen at birth to embody Majalis's maxims of science, service, and sacrifice. which it's nicely alliterative. So they must have had a good marketing meeting to come up with that uh, term. Uh, he forswears his only family because everyone of the planet is his family. And so they were on retreat on this moon when they were attacked by this ship. And the boy is to ascend to the throne in two days. And we keep having these references to things. And we form this picture of a mind. Oh, he's ascending to a throne. He's going to be a king. He's going to rule. I mean, it's it's interesting that he's called the first servant and mm-hmm. that his his role is service and sacrifice. Oh, little do we know how literal the, that those terms are going to be uh, in, in when, it, yeah. when, when and later on. 
And they don't even say ascend to a throne, just that he's going to ascend, you know? And so, okay, right. is that going to be like Daniel Jackson and Stargate SG-1? Uh, or is yeah. it, you know? Right, right. That's, yeah. That, in fact, uh, I think I filled in to the throne when I was make, making my note because that's sort of implied, but it's not exactly what they say. Yeah. They, they do want us to think it, this is like ascending to a throne, though. So Alora, meanwhile, doesn't want any investigation. Oh, I just want to leave it behind me and we want to get to the planet. And Una insists that it is necessary. And Pike concurs because Starfleet regulations, you know, you have to investigate any ship that attacks a Starfleet vessel, which is a is a good policy. I think I think that we should mm-hmm. always investigate such things. Oh, yeah. Um, so we uh, I, I forgot if we mentioned that to the boy that uh, Gamal reveals that they have their medicine. They don't have, you know, like what Starfleet has. They have quantum bio implants, which basically heal you from within of any disease as soon as it occurs. On the molecular level. On the so molecular level. disease is basically unknown to them. Right. And I gather what Gamal wanted to check was to make sure the quantum implants that the kid has are still functioning properly after he gets hit. Because right. they'll, then they'll take care of anything else. So you don't need to use your butcher's knife on the kid. Right, right. Yep. And and I, I wrote down, as soon as they mentioned the bioimplants, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the answer to Mbenga's daughter's disease. This is, you know, yeah. clearly that case. Pretty much. Um, Alora says something, oh, no, he says something along the lines of, on Majalis, we have a saying, let the tree that grows from the roots of sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach. That's the episode mm-hmm. title then. Um, and... Again, that that takes a whole on a whole horrific new level when you get to the end of the episode and you find out what they're actually referring to. Because the child's the sacrifice of children is what is literally lifting up their civilization off the ground. Right. So they will not suffer the bad environment on the planet's surface. This is this is another one of these. uh, We have this technology that was built hundreds of years ago, and it's all built on, you know, some need of a neural pathway, neural network of a child. Right. It's a lost technology. Yeah. And they they eventually, you know, hang a lantern on it and and say, you know, that's what's going on. And we don't know why our forebears set it up this way, but it works and we're committed to it. And for now, but we are looking for alternatives. In fact, Alora mm-hmm. says that, by the way, notice she's got a trait name too. Mm. Alora is, is clearly based on Allure. Yeah, alluring. So she yeah. has feminine allure for Captain Pike, so she gets called Alora. Right. Um, but um, she, her research ten years ago, when when she had a shuttle accident involving a pulsar and Pike rescued her, that's the research she was pursuing was looking for an alternative to plugging a kid into this into this nightmare machine. Right. Right. You know the, this episode kind of reminds me of an original series episode, another totally, civilization yeah. that was. The Cloudminders. So, well, yeah, I not only the Cloudminders, but also because they have the things up in the clouds. Yeah. But I mean, I immediately thought of the Cloudminders for that. Um, but also, I and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's the it's an earlier season episode where you have a planet suffering from overpopulation. Oh, yeah. And and they want Kirk to they put they want interaction with Kirk so he can get him sick. And it'll cure their overpopulation by mm. getting diseases so some of them can die. Right. Um, sure. There's also another one about the uh, two planets that are having a war via computer. 
where if a strike is declared in your zone, you just report to a disintegration chamber and it's so much more civilized than regular war. So <laughs> it's allowed it to continue because yeah. people don't have the pressures to, hey, maybe we want to end this thing. Right. Um, so it's it's an alternative sociology episode and it's very much like the uh like the original series that's one of the things that leapt out at me especially as we got towards the end um in particular and and this is something i don't mind oftentimes you i mean some people will say oh sci-fi is at its best when it's commenting on contemporary problems and it like no um sci-fi mm-hmm. is often at its worst when it is commenting yeah. on contemporary problems but uh, essentially what this one is, they don't pick a hot button issue, but it is a real issue of, well, don't children in your world, in the Federation, you know, suffer? Mm-hmm. And and yet the people who are living in, in, in luxury turn a blind eye to that. And it's like, well, actually, no, not in the Federation, not from what Gene Roddenberry tells us anyway. Right. Um, but they're really commenting about the real world. And of course, there are children in the real world who suffer. And people in luxury can turn a blind eye. And they're using, Alora uses that as a kind of moral equivalence. She -hmm. says, at least here, we know we're causing the children to suffer for the greater good of society. And we don't turn away like your people do. Um, How she would know our people do that, I don't know, given (laughs) the amount of contact. But um, so this is... They're clearly interacting with a real world social issue here, but they're not doing it in a super preachy way other than, I mean, yeah, this one scene is preachy, Mm -hmm. but it's not as obnoxious as what we often get. Right. And Um, and there are perfectly obvious moral differences. It's like, number one, when children suffer in the real world on planet Earth, it is not for the greater good of society. It is an accidental byproduct. We are not torturing children in machines in order to have luxury. That's what you're doing. Right. That's not what we're doing. And secondly, if people who live in um, in luxury don't immediately rush out to help all of the suffering children, it's because we have, number one, already established social safety nets, and number two because the children that are not covered by those safety nets are people that an individual has no power to help Mm -hmm. because you can't just go out. There's no like place you could go. It really, I mean, like people, when they talk about, you know, overpopulation and food, they have the idea, Oh, we don't have enough food to feed everybody. We totally have enough food. We have more than enough food. That's why obesity is such a problem. The problem is not that there are starving children because of, of, of lack of food or anything. The problem is that you have local corrupt governments Mm -hmm. that prevent food aid from getting to their people because they're a kleptocracy and their leaders are skimming off the top. And so if you're a person in the West who has a comparatively comfortable existence, there's not really anything you can do about their local corrupt government over there. Right. Right. War and, you know, various geopolitical problems are the the greater cause of of such things. Yeah. So, uh they beam down to the pl- the planet where the alien ship crashed to investigate and uh Yora gets to learn the the third lesson of security which is 
let the tricorder do the investigating. Don't don't touch things. And the lesson is a good one, but not for the reason La'an states. <laughs> yeah. um, La'an says, because they beam down and Uhura like touches a panel on this crashed ship. Crashed ship. So it's like she's touching a control panel. And um, La'an jumps on her and says, some Klingon ships are equipped with an auto scuttle system. Scuttling is where you like destroy a ship at sea. Mm-hmm. You sink it. Um, and even the lightest touch could trigger an auto-destruct sequence. And I'm going, that's the stupidest reason. I mean, I would, <laughs> yeah. okay, don't touch maybe because it could be contaminated, you know, right. you, you mm-hmm. know, touch the alien thing and rub your eye. Not a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, if this ship had an auto-destruct sequence that was designed to prevent it from being salvaged, by others, if that system is still functioning, it would have gone off at footsteps, yep. which are much more of an impact than a light finger touch. Um, yeah. Also, if it has a functioning sensor system and detects alien life forms aboard, that could set off the system. Um, you know, or the tricorder readings themselves, if it detects mm-hmm. it's being scanned, that could set it off. So, don't touch when you've got clomping around footsteps, tricorder readings, and alien life signs being broadcast. If this thing wants to blow itself up, it would do it without you touching it. Right. The The yeah. better reason for lesson three is tricorders have many more sensors than your fingers and eyes do. So let yeah. the machine help you. And, and they can interact with the machines on a direct level instead of through indirect sensors. Yeah. Uh, so in their investigation, Laura finds an oath coin. She, uh, happens to find it there, uh, which is convenient. And this is it, a kind of medallion that they wear, yeah. that their security people wear to um, signify their loyalty to their system. Yeah. But the, one side of it has been defaced. Right. So it's like the front of it is uh, is normal. So you could hold it up to someone and say, here's my oath coin. But on the mm-hmm. back, you've secretly betrayed everything and scratched it all out. Yeah, it's essentially either like the Praetorian Guard or the Secret Service or that sort of thing. And it's yep. unimaginable that w- one of the these these guards would bet- would lose his coin. So it must be, you know, uh, someone a traitor. Much less desecrated. Yes, right. Which so, is a hor- horrific idea for Laura that her Praetorian guards have been corrupted by some evil ideology. Right. No one could possibly have stolen it and defaced it or something or, like that or replicated it yeah it's kind of mm. but uh, this is again i'm still as i'm seeing this i'm thinking yeah something's not something doesn't smell right here with the laura there's something there's something going on here mm. uh so pike goes with her to find the traitor yeah they go they beam down they line up all the guards and they make them um present well, their coins. before we get to that i want to mention that spock on the ship finds uh, a neural dampener that's sized for the boy so the mm-hmm. uh, so the and then he shows it to Gamal, who's a doctor, who's like, oh, I don't know what that is. It's you know, it's it it, it can't oh. possibly be what it's what it's for. That's that's another one of those just happens to find because it just happens to be laying in the corridor, not in like a bridge, not in a another room. It's just laying right in the corridor, like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Although they might have been on the bridge because there were consoles there. But yeah, mm. it may have gone by too fast. But it wasn't clear to me what the rebels were planning to exactly use the neural dampener for. They, they mentioned, yeah. They, uh, yeah, they, 
I, 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 I mean, I remember them kind of starting to talk about it, but I don't remember what they said. Later on, Gamal says that it was designed to basically suppress the bio implants to make him unsuitable for the ascension. It was okay. it, it would have made right. him un, uh, 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 not possible. So that's okay. That was what he really. So meanwhile, so when Alora and Pike, they go to they they go to the they light up the guards and they make them all show their coins and she gets one guard to you know who, who it turns out he's the traitor. He run he kills one of his fellows and runs away. And when they can, oh, okay. So he's got this weapon, yeah, and it's it's it looks kind of like an axe, mm-hmm. but also maybe it's a spear, like a halberd, you know? really, yeah. like the Swiss guard, and 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 it zaps people and instantly destroys them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, fast. And yep. so, um, all of the guards have this. So. Why do we then have this elaborate chase fight sequence when they've got ranged weapons capable of destroying each other instantly? I can see them trying to capture him alive. I get that. Mm-hmm. Why isn't he just disintegrating everybody as readily as he did the first guy? Like, I don't. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't seem to be all that. So when they finally get him cornered, Alora purposefully puts herself in between Pike's phaser and the guard so that that gives the guard the opportunity to take her hostage. And then she right. accidentally and, and, kills him. Right. And he, as he's holding her hostage, he says his goal is to, is that he's, he has not betrayed his oath to mm-hmm. the child. He's, 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 he's going to end. It's something like he's going to end this hell world and, right. and so forth. So mm-hmm. we don't know what the meaning of that at the time, but once you learn what's going on, it's like, okay, this guy was a good guy. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. he, he realized that the society was inappropriately taking advantage of these children, these special children. And it is moral, it not, it is morally hellish what they're doing. And so he has not betrayed his oath to protect the child. He's actually trying to save the child by what he's doing. Mm. Yeah. He says, uh, long live the first servant, which is again, like, mm. well, if he's betraying him, why is he? Saying all that beca- all becomes clear. So back on the Enterprise, uh, Uhura is. Uh, we have a little funny scene with uh, Lieutenant Kirk, Sam Kirk, and uh, and we get lesson number oh, five, yeah. lesson he number six. Back. Yeah, he is back. But yeah. briefly, we get lesson six, which is uh, know when to bend the rules because Laan stole a bunch of data chips from the crashed ship uh, and is going around Starfleet protocols to ask Uhura directly to translate them all being a linguist. She wants her to translate them. And this is kind of stupid because, (laughs) um, okay. So number one, you're doing an investigation. She says she can't run these because of protocol. She can't run them through the ship's translator because it'll have a record and so forth. Okay. Why you're doing an investigation? Yeah. Right. You know, what, what is preventing you from studying the records of the ship that attacked you? That's yeah. one of the things you should investigate. That was um, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't she, it's just to give Uhura something to do. And yeah. I mean, that's the real reason. There's a not there's a non diegetic reason for it. Although even that um, doesn't really make sense because you, well, she could have just assigned it to her. <laughs> she could have yeah. she could have assigned it to her. And yeah. also Uhura is these are computer chips. You're gonna have yep. to plug them into a computer to read anything off of them. <laughs> 
And and so unless are you telling me they've got air gapped systems on the Enterprise that you would use for this that Uhura could access without leaving a paper trail for Starfleet? Really? Um, (laughs) I mean, she's going to do it on her. Is she going to do it on her personal iPad or something? Yeah. Um, And you're going to need a computer anyway. The fact she's a linguist is not going to help you that much because a linguist decoding a new language and learning all of its vocabulary and figuring things out from a computer database, which is essentially what she's got. Um, all of that is going to be heavily dependent on computer work anyway. The fact she's a linguist is not going to help you, really. Well, come on, Jimmy. Don't you know that they have privacy on their personal terminals, <laughs> but the, the translators are have you know yeah. logs of everything that's translated? And no, that yeah, you, no, you're right. It, it's yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous but you know since you know she didn't get a Magellan uh warrant she couldn't Lawn couldn't look at those files apparently i don't know i guess that's what it is yes yeah, because it was Magellan just just um jurisdiction except they were already investigating yeah it, that, that makes no sense the, this if, whole if scene federal, doesn't make any sense if yeah federation regs require you to investigate that gives you the right to look at their database yeah this is the weakest scene in the in the show i think in the episode yeah yeah, it's it's really, you know, and, and I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of getting a little bit annoyed by it that they're holding up Uhura as the super, super girl, yeah. super language girl. And I mean, I, I like the character. I like the character Uhura, both from, you know, Michelle Nichols version and this version. But do we need to be reminded every other episode that she knows five bazillion languages? She's the next, you know, Hoshisato type person. I mean, right. do we really need that. Yeah, I would I would take the the Mary Sue aspects of the character down. Um, yeah. But having said that, I really like this actress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love I love her performance of Uhura. She is, I mean, in, in ways, I like it better than Nichelle Nichols, who originated yeah. the character. This actress is so likable and friendly and charming. I mean, yeah. wow, she just has so much charisma. I love this yeah. actress's performance. Well, it reminds me of first season Tilly in Discovery, you know, who I really yeah. enjoyed. Yeah, this it, it's it's definitely not a complaint about how the actress plays her, mm-hmm. you know, that the character is a good character. It's just how they write parts of this character is what I complain about yeah. you know, more than anything else. Like even mm-hmm. Hoshi had her doubts, like she had, uh, you know, she didn't know oh. she belonged in space and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, we find out, of course, it's illegal for Majalis to share its technology to heal Mabenga's daughter. Of course it does. Uh, hey, they're just the Tolans. Oh, another <laughs> story <Stargate> reference. <laughs> right. It's, uh, they have their own version of the Prime Directive. And we do, too. When it comes to technology, um, we don't, we, there are export um, yeah. controls on what tech American technology can be shared with other countries. Yep. We're not going to mm-hmm. give China our best tech. They're going to okay. try to take it anyway, because a lot of, a lot of the people running America's security systems are idiots, but <laughs> yeah. um, we don't willingly give them our best tech. So that was an issue. What about 20 years ago when like PlayStation three came out that places that you couldn't export a PlayStation three to North Korea and Iran because these were powerful enough computers to be used for crypto and things like that for, you know, breaking cryptography and and stuff like that. So this, I mean, this, this is something that we have concern here in the United States even today. Yep. Yep. And apparently that the prime directive ban doesn't apply to medical intervention. That's what Mabenga says, but it should. 
because uh, now maybe not to treatment. Like you come over here, we'll treat you and send yeah. you home. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it should apply to medical technology because you can use that for germ warfare. Yes. I mean, in, in, in imagine in the 24th century, species specific or even clan specific genocidal bioweapons. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is totally harmless to us, but guess what? This one family on your planet is going to die. Let's say the royal family. Yeah, we've yeah. seen that in uh, in various science fiction stories. Uh, so Alora is, but at this point, showing all the signs of a femme fatale, including seducing Pike. You know, we get we get the, yep. the, the all the all the signs are there. Although he he, it, he gets his shirt off and is laying in bed with her. It's like right. okay, shades of Jim Kirk, <laughs> right? Yep. Right. Although it turns out that perhaps she's sincere in her feelings. Like at the yeah. end, it looks mm -hmm. like she's this isn't just a put on in order to 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 trick him, but she actually is sincere in her feelings and yeah. and that sort of thing. So that, that that's a little different. Um. He tells Alora, like you mentioned before, he tells Alora about his known fate. He knows what's happening. And she tells him that their tech could heal him, but he would have to. Then she kind of pulls back because she says, you know, you'd have to become a, you know, a citizen and abide by our rules. And just like knows, Dr. McCoy in the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but I think she knows how he would react to finding out. I think that's part of why she's been hiding what's going on from him all along. And I think she's when she lets him come to the ceremony at the end, mm -hmm. I think it's she's secretly hoping that he'll he'll be OK with it. Yeah, she's kind of she's kind of rolling the dice. And yeah. it's like he's either he's if, if he's she would like him to come here in the future and live. Um, but if he's going to do that, he'll eventually learn the truth. So she may as well let him make an informed choice. And so she lets him witness the ceremony. So she, she gets approval from their ruling council, yeah. um, to let him witness it so that he can hopefully understand what they're doing and why they view this as important and then come back mm -hmm. and become her husband in the future. Uh, meanwhile, Mabenga comes back to sick bay and finds the first servant, playing with his daughter like he, he this really brilliant kid figured out what was going on and what was hiding in the he was hiding in the buffer mm -hmm. and brought her out um and so that you know it, it, we have that uh so again we're I, advancing that storyline I, I like the 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 hopscotch uh, graph made out of noble gas rings that was kind of cool <laughs> that looking. was fun yeah that he's harvested from the ship's uh, life support systems <laughs> yes yeah. And as nice, it was, it was, I think they pointed it out even that because these are noble gases, they shouldn't hurt anything. Yeah. And, right. and that's true because the reason noble gases are called noble is because they act like noblemen. They don't want to interact with common riffraff elements. So they keep to themselves <laughs> and they therefore won't like, you know, combine with cells and with atoms in your body and mess you up. Right. Right. Or blow up or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why you can inhale helium, which is the king of the noble gases that doesn't want to interact with anything. Yeah. And and, and you can inhale it and it's not going to cause you a problem. You just breathe it out and sound like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, don't inhale too much of it because it can displace oxygen and make you pass out. Uh, well, yes. that, but it's not the helium hurting you. Right, it's right, right. The oxygen deprivation. Yeah. T taking a mouthful off of a balloon isn't going to hurt you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Uhura, in translating the data chips, finds that the kidnappers are actually a colony of Majalis and they well, left paradise for some reason. Te technically what she finds is that their language has common roots with um, 
with the Magellan language. Yeah. And she says, therefore, that that proves they're the same species. And I'm going, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Vulcans can speak English, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Spock doesn't need a translator going in his ear all the time. Um, aliens can learn to speak languages. They can cross species boundaries with intelligent beings. And so th that would prove cultural contact mm -hmm. at some point between the Magellans or some ancestors before they moved to this hell world, because they clearly didn't evolve there. Um, or it, it, all that proves is cultural contact, not species mm -hmm. sameness. Right, right. Uh, but that's the idea is, we were, is uh, they want to get, get across is that they are um, the, you know, an offshoot. Uh, meanwhile, the as they're see as the child and Gamal are about to beam off Enterprise down to the planet surface uh, precipitously. Gamal has decided that it's time to go now rather than later when they had planned. So he's he's changing the schedule. Uh, they are kidnapped by another combat cruiser, another of the these uh, kidnapper or ships appear to be kidnapped. Yes. Uh, and it gets destroyed in the attempt to keep it from getting away. Um, and uh, he, and the first servant is apparently killed, but as you say, um, yep. and, and Alora says to uh, Pike that the death of the child means that the floating cities will fall out of the sky. And Pike thinks that she's being dramatic, but in reality, <laughs> that's actually what it means. Um, what? Well yeah, I love Pike there. He's like, she's like, we're going to all die. He's like, well, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not the we end of the world. We can give you grief counselors. <laughs> we can help you. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's uh, it's falling out of the sky. Um, and it, they they realized that Gamal had used the bio patterns from sickbay to beam himself and the child off the ship. Um, and, uh, and he hid the child instead somewhere on Enterprise. And that was less than seven is leave no stone unturned. Uh, and they mm -hmm. they find that they he actually beamed him into a cargo case down on the lowest level of the ship where they leave stuff in the corridors. That's how you know it's the lowest level of the ship. They just they don't put stuff away. They just leave it laying yeah. around. In the uh, hallways, yeah. <laughs> Real military. Poor Chief Kyle got completely blamed. He's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. I swear. Yes. I'm I'm still hoping up. They they follow up on the. Chief Kyle, Kyle is horrible to work for. Horrible yeah. to work for. I I really want that picked up in the future. That would be such a great just, character trait, given how <laughs> nice he appears to be. Even if just like one scene where you hear like the last bit of yelling as <laughs> as Pike enters in the room or something like that. Yeah. You know? Maybe. Or, you know, I, I, I prefer them just to refer to it like they refer to Morn talking and we never oh, actually yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That would be, that would be good. Cadets go running out of the transporter room or something yeah <laughs> and so now the 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 reality of what's going on in Majal's starts to become apparent we're finding out that they the first servant you know there's a horrific use for the first servant that gamal was trying to save his son um you know they sacrifice children but oh he chooses it freely uh well i don't want to get into contemporary cultural political issues but this idea that a child could choose such sacrifice freely yeah. at such a young age is horrific yeah. and mm -hmm. you know there's a, such a thing as age of reason and was why we only let adults join the military and do things like that although in fairness this kid is a super genius and remarkably emotionally mature this intellect and, and emotional maturity though enough 
Uh, there, well, there's a moral he's also, maturity. He's also been brainwashed by the right. by this right. ideology, and so I think that's the real delimiting factor. Yeah, um, is in him being able to make an informed choice. On the other hand, it's precisely because it's an ideology that mm-hmm. it makes it hard to parse out in terms of moral culpability and values. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, they just have a disagreement with Federation morality and and. Um, as a, as a normal human, it's like, okay, this is morally repugnant. Yeah. Yes. But how do you, you can't measure moral values in a test tube or on a tricorder. So how do you, how do you prove you kind of have to let the people have their ideology and fight it out amongst themselves as they apparently are beginning to. Unless there is an objective standard of morality that, that, yeah, but this with. is this is the Federation. Well, so. no, yeah, I was, I was yeah. taking it a little meta, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like the, the, that whole scene. I mean, it was really well done as watching Pike realize seeing it in his face. What's actually going on here? Like he's he's confused. He's kind of concerned. He sees them carrying the stretcher with this desiccated body of a child, you know, yeah. under a cloth away. And he starts to, and like he, he freaks out. He tries to intervene and has to be knocked out. At this point, the the first servant, you know, when he, when he's allowed to see the, the child that preceded him, who's still a child, I don't know how long it was supposed to have been in there. Mm. I mean, maybe it right. froze his development and was in there for 50 years or something, but it still comes out as a desiccated child body. Um, the, the alien, the, the first servant looks at it and says, oh, my God. And um, which I like, it's like, okay, these people have a belief in God. Nice (laughs) to know. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But then he willingly consents anyway. He gets into the machine and then Mm -hmm. the machine grabs him and sticks needles attached to glowing tubes all over his face, which is quite effective body horror. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, it they don't. I give them credit. They don't pull back. They don't soften the blow. They, they, yeah. Pike doesn't rescue rescue yeah. the boy. You know, this ends badly for, for this boy. And it's it's horrific. And uh, Pike wakes up after being knocked out. And he immediately is, we got to go get him out. And it's like, it's too late. I mean, if you pull him out, he's just going to die anyway. Like, it's he's integrated. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the this whole civilization is founded on the suffering of, of children in, in that Yep. That is a horrific idea to any normal sane human being. And, yeah. and which makes this an interesting episode. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and this idea that Pike has is that this is wrong in the face of whatever the Magellan sense of morality is. So there is there is an objective truth of what is good and what is evil. And I like the fact that Finally, we're back to Star Trek saying that there is objective good and objective evil, that there are some things which are permissible and some things which are not. And there have been times in the not too distant past where that was not necessarily true of Star Trek. So uh, I'm glad to see that. Um, but uh, but Alora really, really wants Pike to accept mm-hmm. their way. She really thinks that he, if, if only he would try to see it her way, he'll accept it. And he just can't it's it's not gonna happen yeah he just beams out after she explains it all it's like i'm not gonna dignify that with discussion i'm gone right i'm done yeah (laughs) but in the end we have uh 
Gamal, who's still on the Enterprise and who's now persona numerata. Elder Gamal, the old camel. The old camel is still on the Enterprise. And uh, he does offer to help Mabenga to give him some protocols and technology that could could save his daughter. So that's going to be the uh, the at least part of what saves her eventually, I, I would think. Um, it, it may at least allow her out of the transporter because right. he says it's not a. He, he has Mbenga bring up her file, and mm-hmm. he says, "I'll walk you through the treatment protocol, uh, or but it won't cure her. But if it will treat her, presumably she won't have to ration her time in the transporter like she is currently." Right, right. Yeah. And then uh, we 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 end with this. Silent oh, scene. And yeah, Gamal is Gamal is going off to join the rebels on oh, the yeah. on the other right. planet in order to try to save one of the next uh, right. special magic children. Right, and this is and this is a fulfillment of what Mbenga said when it was revealed that his daughter was in the transporter buffers. That somewhere there's a planet that will have the cure, and now he's found it, and he at least can work towards it. Yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, and as I was going to say, in the at the the last scene is Pike wordlessly standing in his quarters, staring at the viewport at Majalis, drinking his whiskey, and uh, yeah. with a haunted expression. Majalis on his face. and the pulsar. Majalis and the pulsar. You see the pulsar in the back. Oh, okay, right, right. So uh, considering everything that he's he's just gone through, um, so and that's where it ends. Uh, final thoughts on this one, Father Corey. Kind of one geekery, geekery thing that they had in this, uh, Spock's talking to the first servant, and the first servant asks Spock, so do you know what the, the speed of speed of a subspace radio is? And Spock says that the speed of propagation of subspace radios is 52,000 times the speed of light. That's how they're able to have intergalactic conversations, intergalactic conversations. And I'm so glad they addressed this. I was going to comment on that, too, um, because it's clear that they can communicate faster than light without having to be at warp. So mm-hmm. subspace yep. radio works faster than light, but it's also clear it has a finite speed because mm-hmm. as it's not infinitely fast because as far back as the original series, there would be times where they would be out of communication with the Federation. And it's like, well, we can check on that, but it's going to take three days to get a reply or something. Mm-hmm. And so to actually land a number on this was fascinating um, they didn't have to do that, but apparently they've, the writers found a number they were happy with at 52,000 times the speed of light. Um, now, that means that the same kind of phenomena we encounter with light speed limited communications will happen with subspace mm-hmm. speed communications. Um, so, for example, like if you want to talk to the moon... You know, to somebody on the moon, it's, I don't know, a couple light seconds away. So there will be a couple seconds delay when you when you talk, which is effectively enough to make you incredibly angry in a conversation. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's a bad Skype call. (laughs) But not enough to end the conversation. Yeah. And so I did some calculation. And so for a one day delay, if I did my math right, for a one day delay. uh, So it's like you're going to it's going to take. 48 hours to get a message there and back, mm-hmm. that would be 143 light years. Mm. And for a one second delay, which is enough to make you irritated in a conversation, um, it would be uh, 14, a little, about 14, 15 light hours. Mm. And that's about three times the distance to Pluto, and which is about five, six light hours away. And so... 
I don't think this really this number fits too well with previous what we've seen on screen because we haven't seen we either they're just out of communication or they're talking to each other in real time. Yeah. Um right. there's but they're clearly more than 3 times away the distance to Pluto presumably to whatever star base they're talking to and they're not having any kind of delay at all. But I still mm-hmm. appreciate the effort. Yeah. Well, in, in in the expanse does a good job of showing light speed communication, you know, speed of light communication and the consequences of that when they're trying to talk to someone, say, around Jupiter. And it takes, you know, minutes for the communication to get there and back. Yeah. There's you no real time conversations. Time. Yeah. 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 You know, and so. Yeah, and of course, you know, they also that they also use this to explain why the Federation has to use all all the species, not just Federation, have to use uh, subspace relays, which yeah. you've seen, you know, even Enterprise and everything, you know, where they had to use the relays to help boost the communication. Yeah, because it would degrade; it would not; it wouldn't be a clean signal when you get too far away. Which the Magellans then view as like, oh, that's really slow technology. So maybe by TNG era, they've got even faster. Uh, when you get ready to get upgrade from your, you know, tin cans in line, we'll talk to you type of thing, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, Jimmy, any last thoughts? Um, so let's see. Um, Pike uh, allegedly was here 10 years ago when he encountered uh, Alora and saved her from a shuttle accident involving a nearby Pulsar. And he fell in love with her at the time. So she's like an old flame. And they still have feelings for each other. And he doesn't know remotely enough about her culture for that to be true. Mm. You don't just <laughs> fall in love with somebody and know nothing about them and their culture. You might be attracted sexually to someone. You know, it's like, wow, she's mm-hmm. hot. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same as the relationship these two people have. And so he just he would have how how he doesn't know enough about their culture during this episode to have had a romantic relationship with her in the past. Um, so it, that was implausible to me, or at least that whatever previous relationship he had with her was really weird. You know, of course, you know, we, in our culture, when people talk about falling in love, that it, it can mean anything from developing a deep relationship, lifelong relationship to lust, to uh, just having a crush I mean, it, it and I think that's kind of how they're using it is more like basically he had a crush on her and still has a crush on her. Yeah, I don't. Well, I'm I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I when when I mean, I started out with a crush on a girl, but I knew a lot more about her than he seems to know in her culture. Than, yeah. Well, then Pike yeah. seems to. <laughs> Uh, I, I that, that crush went on for years, um, <laughs> but um, I found that implausible. Also implausible, although there is a way you could headcanon it, such an advanced planet has apparently not discovered the technology of guardrails <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they're just running around on these floaty platforms that don't have guardrails. Star Wars Imperial <laughs> design uh, <laughs> language. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it. Solves overpopulation. Get too close to the edge. Oops. <laughs> and and like we mentioned, this I mean, this planet has a lava surface with acid lakes, so acid sloshing around on top of lava. Um, these people clearly did not evolve on this planet. They came from somewhere else. Mm. Mm. One thing that occurred to me, well, and this is the last thing, but one thing that occurred to me while I was watching this episode is, um, so we have this kind of crossover, 
you know, with characters from the original series like Uhura. And I thought, I wonder who else we could have crossover. Harry Mudd. Oh, yeah. Well, from Discovery. He's already been on Discovery. They've got a great guy to play him. They should bring Harry Mudd on Strange New Worlds. Yes. Yes. That would be very interesting to to have a Harry Mudd episode. Uh, That would be. Yeah, they should do that. Totally. That was like we said last time. That was one of the, the, the funniest episodes of Discovery was that Harry Mudd time travel one. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, uh, it, and whatever, I, I agree with most, almost everything you guys said. And, uh, and I would add for my, my own thing, whatever problems there were with this, it still was a really good episode. And I really yeah. enjoyed oh, yeah. it. I enjoyed it. Uh, oh yeah. And yeah, it, it was, was, it was, it was reminiscent of the original series in a big way. Yes. And it had some of the same goofy plot holes that the original <laughs> series would have, but it's still yep. enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, frankly, the original series had even bigger plot holes at times. Yeah. So that doesn't, doesn't deter my enjoyment. All right. I and mean, we're, we're almost, we're almost to the halfway point of this season. And so far there hasn't been any episode that I would just say is just an absolute stinker. Yep. And uh, we're a little past halfway now, right? Because this was. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be a 10? 13? 10. I think it's 10. Uh, oh, I thought, okay, let, I'm just going to peek real quick here. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is 10. Okay. So we, this is past halfway. Yeah. But none of the episodes so far would be a stinker. The episodes like better than others, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been good so far. I've been enjoying it. So, uh, and that actually will come up in our feedback. So, uh, which we should get to now because uh, our first feedback comes from. Uh, this is on our ep- last episode, Spock Amuck, and Dave sent an email and he said, uh, I just listened to the podcast mentioned above. I always felt that T'Pol said it very succinctly in the Enterprise episode, The Forgotten. Trip had just said that he envied the Vulcans because of their lack of emotions. And T'Pol said, you think that the loss of a colleague or a friend doesn't affect us? It does. But if we give in to those emotions, they overwhelm us. I always felt that T'Pol is a Vulcan and Jolene Blaylock is the actress thereof were underrated and underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I agree in terms of, of the actress. Um, I think they wrote her character, especially in the beginning, badly, because they uh-huh. were trying yeah. to play this Vulcan human antagonism thing, and it made her initially less likable. Um, but I agree. She was a big supporter of the show, She's a big champion for it, um, you know, when it was in the process of cancellation. And um, and her performance, especially in later seasons, I, I really appreciated. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that it, that line, by the way, with T'Pol was right on target. Yeah, it, It's not that Vulcans don't have emotions. It's that they, they just, they tamp them down so that they don't overwhelm them. Uh, then we had some feedback from Jason via Patreon. I, I still, though, if I was ever cast to play a Vulcan, I would, I would like try to play a repressed Cyrenite. So it's like, <laughs> instead of these other Vulcans are like repressing anger and I would like be trying to repress joy. <laughs> uh, so Jason, uh, patron Jason uh, sent a message. He said, uh, I would like to make an observation. Your group has rightly so commented that first seasons of new Star Trek shows have historically been lacking. The first seasons of TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise have all been filled with stinker episodes until the shows found their footing. To me, Strange New World seems to have broken that curse and have given viewers quality episodes right out of the starting gate. I have high praise for Strange New Worlds and hope they keep up the high production and story quality. Yeah, I agree. Like you just said, I, yeah. I agree, yeah. This may be the best first season of a, of a Star Trek series. At least, uh, it, with the possible exception of the original, 
I'd have to revisit yeah. that and see what's yeah. in the original series one original. That's also, uh, I'm accepting lower decks because yeah. that's a, a fundamentally different genre. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah but Jason read on target there that it has really been good so far. Uh, and then it's been a great run. Yes. So far. So far. Uh, Matt S via YouTube uh, says, uh, hi, all the U Voyager episode, the bride of chaotica was a comedy episode in Voyager. So that might be the last one besides the one in discovery. Yeah. Anyhow, okay. Yeah. So that, that's fair enough. Uh, anyhow, I love the show. You guys maybe keep an active subscription to Paramount plus. Cause I like listening to your show every week after <laughs> watching strange new worlds. Paramount should be paying you something as uh, they should. Well, yes. Yes. Matt, I do not yes. disagree with you. I think <laughs> I would not say no to a nice fat check from Paramount to support SQPN. If you're at Paramount and you'd like to support the show, please go to SQPN.com slash give. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> or contact Dom at. Yes. And unfortunately, we'd be more likely to get uh, cease and desist orders if we tried to play any clips from the show. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Matt. That's true. And yes, Bride of Chaotica was a definitely, I think, a, K a comedy episode. All right, so that's our feedback. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons, as we referenced, to make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Kelly P., Robert P., Eliza F., Ben and Susie S., and Brian T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it. From us, we would love to hear what you think of Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Uh, I won't try to do the song again. Let us know by commenting <laughs> on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds, the Serene Squall. Uh, the sounds the, like a that sounds like a soap opera. It does, you know, yeah. from the nineteen fifties <laughs> or sixties. Today on the Serene Squall, Jacob must make a decision about whether he's going to tell Becky the truth about the operation on her daughter Cynthia's best boyfriend. You know, <laughs> or the Serene Squall followed by the Blustery Blizzard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, next on the Weather Channel. Until then, uh, Father Cory Stika. Thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, very, very important, a Rigelian tiger pounces with no warning. Unlike all the Earth tigers. Tigers.